Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Welcome. Rob just invited himself. He just uh, came up. I mean, it's just quite an incredible thing what our church is doing, uh, even in this service that you're at. Uh, We're celebrating giving turkey baskets uh, to those that have food insecurity, and it's just a great way for us to be blessing our community. And simultaneously, uh, I'm talking about, uh, I want to just share a little bit about Spain, uh, where Liz and I have just spent six weeks as missionaries in the southern part of Spain called Andalusia. And, you know, for our church to be doing, you know, these things uh, is just really, uh, I'm just so proud of all of you and uh, what God is doing here and the multiple facets of being involved in what God is doing. You know, um, <clears throat> before, I even, before Liz and I even uh, started this church and founded this church uh, way back when, uh, God had called me uh, into ministry, and the particular verse that God had given me was Ephesians chapter uh, 11 and 12. And uh, Ephesians chapter 12 says, "...to build up the body of Christ." And uh, when we started the church, that was my main thrust. It's like, how do we, what's my role in building up the body of Christ? And then uh, all these years later, as we've transitioned out, and and Stephen and Sarah, who are doing just such a wonderful job as lead pastors, I feel like God is just emphasizing this exact same verse all over again in me uh, and saying, well, okay, how do you do this both here but also in Spain? And uh, also having had another prophetic word from uh, one of the pastors in the Vineyard Movement uh, to uh, in, in think about and invest in Spain. And so we went this uh, trip uh, really with that in mind. It's like, how do we build up the, the, the existing church in Cordova, Spain, and partner with them so that that church can be better equipped, they can be stronger, and how can we then help uh, church planting in that area, uh, particularly, uh, well, I was thinking particularly in the small villages surrounding uh, Spain. And so with that, uh, we went out. And I don't have the, the chance to, to give you all the details of this trip, but tomorrow night we're going to share in great detail. And uh, you can, I'm encouraging you to come out uh, tomorrow night uh, and listen to that. Uh, but also, I want to ask you to ask God this question. Might God be wanting you to join us on an upcoming missions trip to Spain, a short-term trip? Uh, we're, gonna, we're planning a trip in February, and maybe it's that trip. Uh, and I'll tell you all of those details tomorrow night if you want to come um, but I do want you to ask God that question. I, I just think there's an opportunity for you uh, to grow in this way. But let me just briefly touch on a few things uh, here in Spain. Uh, if you look at the, the photograph with the, with the cathedral in the back, uh, if any of you have been to Havana, Cuba, I have never been to Havana, Cuba, uh, you would see this identical uh, cathedral because Havana, Cuba uh, built their city as a, as a replica of Cadiz in Spain, which is 
where we're standing. And uh, I was preaching down in Cardiff, and they gave me this awesome hat. So it uh, really helps with the spotlights around here. I thought I'd just uh, show you that, uh, that present. Well, uh, it, the, the other shot is uh, where we were living in Cordova, Spain, and we, we, we particularly wanted to live very close to where the church is, and it's in a totally non-tourist area. Uh, as you can see in the photograph, uh, everybody lives in a densely populated um, area. So, for instance, uh, between here and Price Chopper, which is about a quarter of a mile down the street, if you were where we are, there would probably be 10 grocery stores within that quarter mile, just because it's so densely populated. Just, you know, just a complete mind change in how, how different life is. But what did God actually do? Well, I've got lots and lots and lots of stories of what happened and what God did. But I want to share one story with you here this morning. And in this photograph um, here, you see what, who became a very good friend of ours. Uh, her name is Isa or Isabella. And uh, Isa runs this, um, they call it a bar. Well, it is a bar. You can see all the liquor at the back there and whatever. But it's actually a breakfast place. And so what happens in the morning, it's a breakfast place. Uh, not that that stops some locals from having a brandy and a whiskey and a whatever with their breakfast just to kind of get you going. I mean, I don't know how that works, but they do it. Uh, and then in the evening, uh, they serve tapas and, yeah, people, you know, have a drink, whatever. Uh, but this is what I did. Every morning, uh, I was felt like I didn't want to do things secretly at home, like my own prayer life and my own morning Bible d devotions. I wanted to do it in public. So every morning I went down to her little uh, bar, the breakfast place, and I'd sit down and I'd put my Bible out and I'd do my own Bible study or reading and pray and whatever not. And I soon, we soon, Liz and I got to meet uh, Isabel and how's it going and what's your life like and and we realized that she just works crazy hours. I mean, like six days a week. I mean, she's there at 7.30 in the morning, finishes at 11.30 or so at night, has a, a lunch break, which is about three hours. Uh, but it's just, you know, and she's in the cycle. And I said, well, can I pray for you? And of course, she's like, what? Can I pray that Jesus will actually make a difference in your life? She's like, well, oh, Okay. Now, here's a real strange thing. In Spain, in Spanish, there's two different words for pray. One is Catholic and one is non-Catholic. So straight away when I say, can I pray for you, you've got to choose. Like, am I Catholic or... So, so anyway, I say, can I pray? She says, yes. And uh, I start praying for her and the Spirit of God falls in her. She is just crying and she's like, what's happening to me? I said, is it? God is interested in your life. He wants you to experience Him. And so, uh, yeah, I could share a lot of stories, but I, I, I stopped there because I do want to say, look, uh, come out tomorrow night and uh, hear all about it in, in more detail. But I also want to say this. God wants to speak to you today, and He wants to know what's happening in your life, and He wants to change you, and He... And God's promise, I mean, this is the tension we live in as I start preaching in Romans. God's promise is that He wants to give us an awesome life. That's Jesus' promise to us. <laughs> but our struggle 
is we don't really believe Jesus. We believe that we can do a better job of managing our lives than what God can do in managing our lives. And that's, we just live in that turmoil. How much can we let go? How much do we believe that God can do it? Will God get involved in our lives or not? Uh, before I get going here, maybe I just, is there somebody that God wants to be speaking to or just encouraging here? I do. I, I think, Kevin, you know, I'm just, as I'm just scanning here, I just want to pray encouragement for you, friend. Uh, Jesus, I just lift up Kevin, and I just pray for you to start doing, um, to do change in his life that he cannot change. And so, Lord, I just lift him up, and I just pray that you would uh, go ahead of him and be with him, that you would, A, protect him and direct him. Uh, but, Lord, I just see that, you, uh, yeah, that you're doing something. In, there's a tension in you there, Kevin, and I just see it, and, I, and it feels like the Lord is, is on it. So, bless you. We want to uh, finish off today this really incredible section. Uh, the book of Romans is just one of these. The book of Romans is a book which, as you've experienced, if Stephen and Sarah have been preaching on it, there's just so much in it. It's rich. It's deep. It's complicated. Uh, it's complex. And today I want to be uh, preaching on Romans uh, chapter 7 and 8 uh, to finish it off. And it's really a, a sort of a, a, a great uh, opportunity because, again, this is just a rich uh, section. But there's so much in this, these two chapters that all I can say is listen to what I'm going to say today and then go home and read chapter 7 and chapter 8 for yourself because there's just a lot in there. And uh, the Apostle Paul, as you know, was writing this letter to the Romans and he's trying to uh, have a visit out there and he's trying to uh, connect with people that know him and those that don't know him. And in a similar way, when Liz and I went to Spain, we were just really following uh, the Apostle Paul's example of going to other countries and sharing uh, God's uh, good news with people. And uh, so how do we do that? And how did Paul do that? And what is it that Paul's actually saying to people? And uh, when we look at this section, what uh, Paul is saying is uh, really wonderful. It's complicated. Uh, it's rich. And I want to do extract really five things that uh, the Apostle Paul is saying in this section. But it's five things related to these two topics. And I'm going to just come out of the, the start here, you know, with a bang. Uh, and that is this. Is God convicting you of some sort of sin in your life? I mean, there's a great opener, right? Uh, and I say that uh, because God does. And, uh, you know, in my own life, uh, there were two examples, actually a number of examples, but two that just jumped out at me. I'd just been a Christian for 10 months, and uh, I was uh, playing a sport called squash very competitively. And I just had... I grew up with no background of Christ. I just had, and so when I received Christ into my heart, uh, it 
it was just the most wonderful thing. And uh, one day I'm playing as I was uh, competing with somebody, and I just had a terrible foul mouth. Not around women, but only around guys, and particularly when I was playing. So every time I made a, a shot that was less than perfect, I had a whole lot of explanations for myself with an F word, and it just seemed very normal conversation. I, I can't understand why it was offensive to anybody. Uh, and I let loose on my regular whatever, and right in the middle of the match, the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, Rob, that's just totally unacceptable. And I'm like, in the middle of the game, I'm like, what? And all of a sudden, I just felt all the strength just drain out of me. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm offending God. And, you know, I, I, I remember finishing the match off, and then I, I came off the court, and I was just like, God, I am just so sorry. You know, God just broke that, really, which is like an addiction, just the way you speak. It just broke it immediately. I mean, just... I've had no desire to just have a foul mouth ever since. And that's, you know, many years ago. And in a similar way, uh, I grew up, uh, like many of you, where sexual uh, activity was kind of just normal. Uh, I didn't grow up in church, so I was just following what society said was normal and made my own value system of what I thought was right and wrong. And uh, one of the things that I thought was totally wrong was, was marriage because everybody ended in divorce. And what I thought was totally right was just having sex. I mean, I just thought, like, it's a great thing. And uh, so I, I become a believer. I'm in church. I've only been a believer for like six weeks. And the pastor says to me in a totally wonderful way, not in a stern uh, way, he says to me, Rob, have you, have you ever considered getting married? And I had. I had a lot of considerations of why I shouldn't get married. I mean, I, had like, I, I was ready to debate this. And it, the God just struck me and I said, I, I said to the pastor, again, my total ignorance, is that what God wants? And he said, oh, yeah, God wants you to be married and only have sex within married with one woman and one man. That's God's way. And I said, really? That, that's God's way. The Spirit of God convicted me immediately, I, without even thinking about it. I know I've shared this before. I, I, said to the, I said to the pastor immediately, right there, well, when can you marry Liz and I? And he said, well, come to my office. I'll, I'll see when I have an opening. I mean, I didn't even speak to Liz. <laughs> I walked to his office. I, I, I opened his calendar. He says, well, the first opportunity I've got is in six weeks' time. I said, well, put it in there. I want to do what God wants me to do. Look, when God convicts you, uh, it's both a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so I want to talk about God's conviction. But the flip side, or what goes right along with that, is God's love for us. And, and let me just preface this by saying, I think we need to experience God's love first, not somebody like church people telling everybody, especially people outside of church, how they should be living and what's right and what's wrong. I think our job as followers of Jesus is to experience God's love. And because we transform by His love, we then want to be convicted by God to have our lives fall in line with the way He wants us to live. And then we open to being 
convicted by God and God uh, changing our lives. And so, you know, I, again, I, I have just many, many examples of just experiencing God's love in powerful ways where, you know, I'll just be in tears. Uh, I don't have time to, to share all these examples, but you do too. You've got examples in your life where God has been personal, where God has been involved in your life in a very specific way, where you've experienced God's love or protection or provision uh, or, or healing or, or made a way for you. And it's like, wow, God is just so loving and, and personal. Jesus, I just lift up this message. Just impact your people, Lord. I just pray that they can experience your love and experience your conviction. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's look at uh, chapter 7 and 8, and let me uh, highlight uh, five things which I think Paul is uh, dealing with uh, in this section. The first uh, challenge that Paul has, and it's a challenge for you and I, is the relevance of the Old Testament, or should I say the relevance of the law within the Old Testament. In other words, Paul is struggling in chapter 7 and 8 He's struggling with how relevant is the Old Testament now that I've experienced Jesus? Which parts do I obey? How do I obey it? And, and how does this all work out? And he's wrestling with that. And this is what he comes up with. He said, it's different now that he's a follower of Jesus. And in Romans 7, 6, he says this. But now we have been released. We have been released. I'll try that again. But now we have been released from the law. For we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. You know, again, this section is so dense. You like have to think about that for a while. Romans 7.12. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and they are right and they are good. So it's not like the Old Testament is irrelevant. But it is. It's now different as followers of Jesus. And then he goes on and, and he unpacks this a bit, and it, it, you come up with this. Uh, the law, the Old Testament, does not have the power for us to be made right with God. But it does reveal where the boundaries are. And it's very explicit on where the boundaries are. Uh, and then... Paul comes up with this idea. He said, now there's a mystery at work here because as soon as we know what the boundaries are, there's something strange which happens within the human spirit. We are drawn to the boundary and we're actually drawn to overstep the boundary. When we didn't know that there was a boundary, it didn't bother us. Now that we know that there's a boundary, there's something in us which wants to cross that boundary. And... Uh, then Paul notices that when you do cross the boundary, uh, there's something within you which is convicted. And so the Apostle Paul is totally conflicted. He's frustrated as he's wrestling with this and making it real in his life. And he says this, Romans 7, 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human and a slave to sin. Honestly, each one of these things is just like a big deal. If we can stop getting frustrated with the Old Testament or stop getting frustrated with the Bible, 
and realize that the problem isn't that. The problem is us. We just take big steps forward. Uh, but in Romans 7, 4, he says this, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And, you know, it's great to have a little, your, your phone and follow along. But honestly, in a section like this, it's great to have your Bible because you get a, a bigger view of where these scriptures are. And I'm plucking and pulling him out to make a coherent argument here. But Romans 7, 4 so, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Again, there's just so much that the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, there's something totally different. We as believers, we are connected with God, with Jesus. And there's something that Jesus starts doing within us uh, that changes everything. And it's not just a change for the sake of change. It's a change so that we become like way better people and that we can actually produce good deeds. That we can actually make a difference in our lives and in all the lives of people around us. Uh, that's God's plan for us. Second of five points. Why do we sin as followers of Jesus? Why do we cross the boundaries when we actually don't want to? Why is it that we keep messing up? Even when we say, look, I'm committed to you, Jesus. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to live the right way. And this is what uh, Paul says about all that. Romans seven fifteen. I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I want, but if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. <laughs> and then in Romans seven eighteen through twenty two, and I know that nothing good lives within me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is the right thing, but I can't. I mean, this is somebody that's honest. Like, I mean, if you're struggling with an addiction, you know what this means. Or if you're struggling to really be holy, to really pursue God, and you just seem like you just can't do it. I mean, you say, I'm going to pray for five minutes every day. And three days later, it's like, you're lucky if you even remember to pray. I mean, it's like, uh, why can't I do these simple things? This is what Paul is wrestling with. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong. But I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living within me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. And then in Romans 7.25. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I want to be holy, basically, but I can't. Why can't I be holy? I'm trying. I mean, this is what Paul is saying. And then the third thing that Paul is getting out of this section, or trying to communicate in this section, uh, is this. The recognition that there's some other power at work within me. And I'm just going to jump ahead here because 
Paul is basically saying, listen, if I'm wrestling with this and I'm trying to do what's right and I've asked Jesus into my life, the only answer is there's some other power. It's not just neutral. There's something in me that is causing me to do what I don't want to do. And uh, he comes to grips with this and he makes a huge distinction. He says, what is controlling me? And he says, once I've accepted Jesus into my life, I am not controlled by this other power. It's still evident in my life, but I'm not controlled by it. And it's vital that we are controlled by the Holy Spirit and not by our own sinful nature. So he says in Romans 7, I'm just going to read verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Look, uh, the application here for us is, is kind of interesting. Uh, we can control what we think about and what our mind wants to dwell on. So I encourage you, you know, if you're battling with some area in your life, don't spend time in it. Be aware if your mind is going that way to cut it off. It starts in your mind. Put your mind on things that are holy, that are upright, that are good, that are worthy. Try and limit your your attention to things that you know you shouldn't do or you don't want to do. Uh, and then let me jump ahead quickly here on point four. Paul connects all this with the unbelievable love of the Father. I mean, he's saying, okay, I'm battling with this sin, I'm battling with that. And then he pauses for a second and he says, wait, let me just get a reflection here. And he basically says, I am loved by God. And not only loved by God, something dramatic has happened in my life where God has actually reached out to me and pulled me into his family. God has actually adopted me and he's chosen to adopt me. And not only has he chosen to adopt me, he's chosen to, to love me. And then Paul does something which is actually quite almost scandalous because he says, this holy God, this distant God, this uh, reverend God, we can call him Daddy. And I mean, just the wording, it, it's kind of jarring for us. He says, Abba, Abba Father. So Paul is saying, but we can actually even pray this way. And Jesus encourages us to pray this way. We can pray, Oh Father, or oh, God in heaven, but we can also pray, Oh, Daddy. And there's something in us which just like, can I call God Daddy? Can I say, Daddy, please, can you help me with my problems? And Paul is saying, yes, that's how much God loves us. And that's the closeness of the relationship that we have with Him. I'll read it for you quickly. Um, Romans 8.15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we can call Him Abba, Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Let me have the worship team come on up as I make this uh, final point here. Uh, you know, when, when I'm doing uh, funerals, one of the sections that I love to read in a funeral uh, is this assurance that God gives us that uh, for those of us that have asked Him into our lives, that uh, we are truly His children. 
And as much as we can't all figure out in this life, as much as we make mistakes and we sin and we, we, we fumble and we stumble along, God is saying, if you've asked Him into your life, this love that He's given us, it's not just for this time, it's for the future. It's for after you've, you've actually died. And it's only after you've died that you will really fully realize the love of God that God has for you. And so uh, Romans chapter 8, 38, I mean, it just, this is just a powerful uh, section. And as I said, I, I, I often read this section at, at the gravesite. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate, separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, God has got us in His grip and He will not let us go. The question, friends, is have you asked God into your life? Have you, have you made this transaction where you say, God, I ask you to live within me. I'm asking your Holy Spirit uh, to live within me. And not only that, I am giving you the freedom to change me from within. Give me your sense of what you want me to do, what's right and wrong. And Lord, I give you control. I don't want to hold on to the things that I want. I want to hold on to the things that you want for me. That's part of receiving Christ and asking God into our lives. And so friends, I just say, if you haven't done that, let's just pray. And if you have done that, let's just pray. Jesus, we just invite you into our heart. Lord, we just give you permission to change us from within. Lord, we desire that you would lead us and direct us. And we, we welcome that. But Lord, we also know that we give you permission to make that possible. Change us from within. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome you. We welcome your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you love us and care for us and know what's best for us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand and, and let's worship our hearts out and, and love the Lord. Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain.